0: High Noon with George Hook. News Talk one hundred
1: six to one hundred eight. Now addiction is something that affects far too many of us, I think, uh, and and a, and a huge number of us, even when lots of people are in denial about the fact that they are uh, addicted to something. And I'm joined now in studio by Dr. Colin O'Gara, who's a consultant psychiatrist and the head of addiction at St. John of God's and the clinical associate professor uh, in UCD as well. And you're 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 sitting where I normally sit this time on on a, a Monday, Colin, because I I do the the book Health Check but I can't ask myself questions and then answer them I, You know, even I can't do that so I have you in the chair today so I'm, I'm playing the Georgia a little bit but talk to me a little bit about the nature of addiction for a start because um, first of all it seems to me both from my own social experience but also from my, my experience working as a GP that it's incredibly common
0: Absolutely is yeah and uh, no better place than Ireland to see how common it is I guess the big story uh, care is alcohol yeah. um, you know 90% of what we see is alcohol and then you have you know sub, um, a lot of the substances like cannabis illicit substances and that type of thing and then we have emerging addictions like gambling and everything now to do with the uh, mobile phone and, and internet and that type of thing so I think you know from where I'm standing I see you know pretty much all addictions and from my point of view I think it's you know Addictions seem to be getting more common and a lot of the data available to us, even though there isn't a huge amount, particularly from the HRB and that it seems to indicate that addiction, yes, is, com- is becoming very common.
1: Is it a genetic condition? Is it a personality disorder? What, what, what is the sort of the root of addiction, do you think?
0: I think you, you've probably seen yourself in uh, print media, the gene for addiction has been discovered, right, which is, you know, we know definitely that's not the case. Now, we're talking probably three to four hundred genes, of very small effect, all operating together on different aspects of the body, different aspects of the substance ingestion and that type of thing complexly uh, interacting with the environment and this gene environment interaction. So really, really complex. I mean, my PhD was on genetics of addiction and after seven, eight years of it, the end of it, I thought, God, this really is complex. But, you know, the the technologies and genetics are certainly getting a lot better and I think in time we'll be able to tell what kind of genes relate to what kind of uh, treatment outcome, for instance, and that type of thing. So that's the translational medicine piece that I think is going to be a lot better in future. But at the moment, the translation isn't fantastic if you go into our clinic now, there isn't genetic, um, you know, so, testing going on, but so I think not there will genetic, be genetic, then or no, there's there certainly is about 50% of the, the heritability coefficient is what it's called, is certainly genetics. But we know it's not, it's not like, say, cystic fibrosis, delta F508, you have it, little knockout there, that's it, you get the disorder. It's not like that, it's called complex genetics because there's many genes involved. And by the way, it's also complex.
1: So, and so, so if it's 50% genetic, does that mean 50% environment, 50% nature versus nurture kind of thing?
0: Yeah, the environmental piece is very important. A lot of people who have these genes don't go on to get alcoholism, whereas some people who are immersed in an alcohol environment, for instance, parents were drinkers, we know that's not deterministic either. But if people are surrounded by, by a certain thing, for instance, alcohol or be it gambling or whatever, they're more likely to develop addiction. But again, it isn't it isn't clear because some people who are completely immersed in that environment are not going to get addicted.
1: So we can't predict it then, but basically
0: not at the moment. But, you know, we don't have a test because if we did with the utility, you'd say, give me the test and let's let's do that test. So
1: I, I was talking to, to, to Frances Black yesterday, who's obviously the, the founder of the Rise Foundation, and she deals a lot with the, the families and the loved ones of people struggling with addiction. Um, Oh, and that's a tough old road for them as well. In St. John of Gods, do you mainly deal with, with the, the person suffering from the addiction themselves or do you also look at the, the kind of the larger community around them?
0: We absolutely do look at the people. We look at the family. And uh, over the years, we've called a different, we've called a concerned person's day. We call a family day. But we have social work, expert social workers who are constantly in touch with the People are affected by addiction. I mean, a lot of commentators say addiction is a disease of, the. you know, it, it, it's got such an impact on the family. It's a disease of the family. So, yes, it's a really tough road and um, you know, we're constantly, constantly in touch with families and it's a very difficult road I would say working in this area. It's not always a pleasant road. It's not always easy for us. Yes, there are times when we're interacting with families and things are very tough and unpleasant and you know maybe 50% of the time we have a fantastic outcome and families love the whole experience 50% of the time it's not good and it's it's you know it can be tough so that's the area of medicine we work in is that any different to say I, I always always use the, the example of St. Vincent's because it's up the road. But if you're working in an epilepsy, diabetes or hypertension, would it be any different? And I don't think it would because these are chronic medical conditions as well that the fam, you know, people, maybe the impact isn't as much uh, as in addiction. But, you know, severe diabetes, severe epilepsy, the families there you know, have, a, have a tough time too.
1: So you're saying if anybody suffers from any kind of chronic illness, that will have an impact on the people around them?
0: without a doubt, and I'm sure you see this in your own no, clinic, I do. I do. absolutely, living with a chronic disorder. And, you know, obesity is another example now that's coming on coming on stream. So, you know, absolutely for family members. But very there tough. is a
1: complex interaction between family members and a person suffering from addiction because of the whole enabling thing. You don't enable somebody to have diabetes or enable them to have epilepsy or what have you. But you can enable addiction. And and, and we do see that. I mean, I, I hear stories of of parents saying to me, You know, Johnny has an addiction and uh, he's an alcoholic or he's whatever he is. And Mm -hmm. God, we've given him 50 grand over the last three years. We've nothing left Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I I always come back in my head to why did you give it to him? But but Mm -hmm. that's the nature of families. I think
0: families get a really tough time in addiction, to be honest. I think if you look at obesity and um, diabetes and maybe some of the other conditions where there's adherence to medication, are the families, you know, can you say the families are involved in that as well? For instance, food, high sugar drinks, all that type of thing. But yes, I mean the the enabling is the thing we don't like. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a phrase we like. It's not something we use. What
1: phrase do you use? What, what's what's the more current? Well, we we would say
0: concerned it. persons. You know, concerned people around the person suffering from that condition. And um, you know, codependence is the other term that, that's that's used yes. sometimes. You know, families go along looking for help, looking to be supported, and they're, they're told you're an enabler or you're codependent. And I've seen families driven you know, demented from that type of thing. They really don't like that. So, we but,
1: but, but but I have to pull you back on that, comment because is there a role that the families have that, are you saying then that the, that the idea, I was of the tough love, the kind of, the, you know, I'm not giving you any money, I'm not giving you any money that I know you're going to put up your nose or that you're going to put into the bottom of a whiskey bottle or whatever, that I'm not going to do that. do you advise families on how to react to somebody with addiction?
0: Yes, we absolutely do and you walk the line between putting down rules in a particular situation but also being supportive and in essence that's addiction treatment. You have to walk the line between those two very difficult positions and it is absolutely difficult. We generally we're very supportive, compassionate and we don't go with a tough love stance but to say that we don't get to a position where we have to say to people, look, you have to do X, Y and Z, of course, of course we do. And, and we do that regularly. So we walk that line.
1: We, we have a text in here from someone. It's not signed possibly for a good reason. Um, I have a non-chemical addiction and I can't stop. I've been seeing a professional for a few months and I have made zero progress. Everything else in my life is reasonably in control. But with this, I am completely powerless. It all feels inevitable. I presume that somebody with gambling or shopping or sex mm-hmm. or porn or whatever it is. Um, Are we seeing more of the non-chemical addictions, the people who who appear to be hooked on social media, on pornography, on gambling, on shopping, on, on what have you?
0: Without a shadow of a doubt, I mean the gambling—you know—hugely so. Internet gaming disorder, which the Americans have put in this uh, kind of hold position before it actually becomes a full addiction. Um,
1: uh, just, just for people listening, is that yeah. people who just can't stop playing like uh, online games, just online. Huge,
0: huge amounts of time spent on massively multiplayer online. Particularly role playing games or shooter games, and we're talking you know huge amounts of time, decline of other activities, and um, With these features from of friends, deb- yeah, and life deb- and yeah, what have that's you. right. And um, we see it in combination. Then that's the other thing: cannabis, perhaps smoking a lot of can- cannabis, playing these kind of games. So. Definitely I've seen, the. you know, our treatment programme, we don't allow mobile phones or access to mobile phones for that reason. If you go back 10 years ago, there wasn't a problem. And I think that's probably the best example I can give you. I wasn't worried about mobile phones because we're mainly treating alcohol and substance abuse. Now you have people gambling, access to porn, gaming, any of that type of thing on a phone.
1: Are the treatments for those things different, Colin? Because obviously with alcohol, for example, which is our our big Irish addiction, you abstinence is still mm. most people can't manage moderation so abstinence maybe a follow-up program with AA or those types of things how do you handle a non-chemical ones? Well
0: the principles as you say are the same but it means for instance medication naltrexone is a drug that we, that, that is licensed for alcohol dependence but that we use quite a bit in, in gambling disorder but also in internet gaming so that's an example of a medication CBT or psychological inputs will be very much honed for the particular disorder and then you have NA in the case of substance you know support yeah, yeah. groups but you also GA in gambling disorder the other ones, uh, sex, is SLAA and SA two uh, very important groups that we refer people to all the time and then for the rest of the emerging uh, addictions for instance there was a marathon on yesterday I guess you know there's certainly people who are on the harmful spectrum amongst, uh, amongst that cohort and possibly even people who are persisting with running in the face of huge adverse effects like um, possibly you've seen this in your clinic I have yourself where people are shooting cortisone into their um, uh, joints regularly they're strapped up uh, doctors like yourself have said, please do not run anymore and they continue to run. So I, that's, that's probably an addiction. I have
1: to say what I, what I have always thought about, and there definitely are people who are addicted to exercise. If you're going to have an addiction, <laughs> it's about the best one because for a lot of people, the outcomes are, are you know, normal BMI, relatively healthy, maybe a bit of arthritis or what have you, mm. but but not quite the same things as some of the other more self-destructive types of, of, of addictions. But it is the same pattern of behavior it's the same thing where you say god i'm doing too much of this it's affecting other things adversely i need to try and stop it i need to try and control it oh i can't
0: yeah absolutely um you know i think i think if you if you look at any behavior at the extreme end though it is it can be ugly and um you know somebody we've we've had the experience of of having to restrict exercise um during our programs people who are very very um you know really compulsively need to get out there and run. So I think that's very much still an emerging issue in Ireland. It's not common. It's not a common presentation. You know, the big stories, as I said, really are alcohol again, substance misuse and gambling now emerging as a process addiction.
1: Just, just to, to, to wrap up, Colin, because we're, we're coming up to the end of the show. If you are somebody listening in and you feel you have a problem, you know, because people do tend to know they have a problem, they do go through layers of denial and they do go mm-hmm. through layers of running away from it and trying to ignore it and then trying to manage it. People design their own coping mechanisms around it and trying to suppress it and, you know, I'll just do it this way for this long and, you know, all that kind of stuff. In in those scenarios, um, if you're somebody who's struggling, what should you do? Where should you go first for your first sort of point of call to get help with something, whatever that may be. I mean, for the vast majority of people, I would suggest it is alcohol, but there are mm. other things, obviously, as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, the roots into into successful treatment, in my view, are maybe a sober friend, somebody that you can trust. So you talk to somebody first. Next line, I think, is is GP. Very, very important. The mutual support group, we have um, a AA-based, but also non-AA-based of the hospital. Life Ring is a big one that we took in a few years ago. So you, if you just get yourself to a meeting, you're going to get a hell of a lot of support there. Then the next line on from that is community-based supports. I know around Dublin we've got some fantastic community based supports but not other areas of the country because the funding isn't there, it isn't there so that's not really fair to say that but you know those first ones, friends GP, mutual support Is
1: there any use, and and this might be a hard question for you but but, you know you mentioned NA and GA and I think everyone knows about AA, but the good thing about AA is there's an AA on mm. every street corner in the country. There's millions of them. There's loads of different AAs around the country. But there isn't SA, there isn't NA, there isn't GA. There's none of those things. They're not, they're not as readily available. Is there a potential, if you're suffering from addiction, but, but your addiction is gambling or cannabis or whatever it is, to go to an AA meeting? Or is that is that not a possibility?
0: Uh, there's... People have absolutely done that. I would have no particular problem with that. And people have gone in and actually said, look, my, you know, people have been welcoming because addiction at the end of the day is addiction. And there's such a generic basis to that. Also, I you know, we're seeing LifeRing as a non-AA group now spreading across the country. And hopefully that will increase. So people have the opportunity to go to that group. a
1: A more general group.
0: Yeah, well, Life Ring is, is American based, but it's not, it hasn't got higher power. It's secular and, uh, supportive. The, ha- the
1: higher power thing does puts, I know some of my yeah. own patients who say to me, I don't believe in God and I don't yeah. like the higher power. So, so that's another opportunity.
0: That's why we brought it in about Fair. five or six years ago. Okay.
1: Yeah. Colin Agar, th- thank you so much. Colin is, is head of addiction studies in, uh, St. John of God's Hospital and talking about something that I think affects far too many of us, uh, unfortunately, and that a lot of people aren't maybe doing enough about or maybe don't know what to do about.